Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome back, listeners. I'm happy to be here for part two in looking at ecstatic trance postures and the Cuyamungue Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'm here this time uh, with Laura Lee, as well as her husband, Paul, um, who are the directors of the Cuyamungue Institute. So welcome back, Laura Lee, and welcome, Paul, to the podcast. Fabulous to be here. So we left off with a pretty good uh, backstory on understanding Dr. Goodman and her work and the, the way that she interacted with her students, how she took this ancient technology that had largely been lost and turned it into very practical steps that anybody can do. And Laura did an awesome job of describing that to us. Now we'd like to kind of shift gears a little bit and look at the Institute's history and what the goals are and what the work that you guys are involved in on a daily, weekly, and yearly basis. So take it away, Paul. What do you guys do? Tell us about the Cuyamungue Institute. Well, I'm sure as you already have established, I mean, the, the foundation of the Institute is Dr. Goodman herself. Um, she purchased this big chunk of land in Santa Fe, New Mexico back in the 1960s. Um, as part of a family place eventually, but she was always enamored with the, the Pueblo culture, the people of New Mexico. She just, it spoke to her in such a strong way that uh, she wanted to buy some land. Uh, the real estate agents tried to uh, point her towards buying something in town. And she said, no, 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 I want to go out into the, the area. And they said, oh, that's, that's, no one wants to be out there. But she said, no, that's what I want to do. She found this perfect piece of land that ended up having a ancestral Pueblo village on it uh, that had never been rebuilt, Cuyamungay. Um, so she kept this land for throughout her uh, adulthood as she was working. And then once she retired, she went ahead and just converted it and donated it into a nonprofit status so that she could continue her work. So even from age 65 to 90, she was very, very busy teaching this work on the land and uh, having students from around the world. And probably, as Laura has mentioned, she spoke eight languages. So she did a very good job of being able to not only talk to uh, people uh, locally, but also people from around the world. She also went every summer to Europe and she presented at various anthropological conferences and she right. wrote for True. various journals, both academic and the general public. So moving forward, she continued to teach each summer. She also had a home in, in uh, Ohio. So she went back and forth in the wintertime back to Ohio and taught there as well. But the Institute was always considered more of a uh, casual, more camping kind of thing, old adobe buildings and nothing too fancy, not heated in the wintertime. So summer um, trance camp. So yeah, we call it summer trance camp. And so we would close it down in the winter times and then um, open back up every spring. Um, so we continue that that process. And after her passing, we continue teaching and offering the work. We have multiple teachers uh, throughout the world that, that had learned and been taught by Dr. Goodman. And so we host uh, events at the Institute. Um, prior to COVID, we had ongoing workshops, both introduction, 
and advanced. We had themed workshops such as art, spirit. Uh, we had rattle making, drum making. We've had mass trance dance, which is a topic unto itself. Uh, we had roots of shamanism, the goddess, the goddess culture and how it speaks to us. And we even had a men's conclave, uh, et cetera. So we've been continuing the work and then we go on to specific areas of research. Also the um, hero's journey was another one that we actually started with and really found to be a very profound way of integrating all that work of, of uh, Joseph Campbell and then going into the direct experience of following those steps of the hero journey. And in the winter, we travel and we did various teachings around the world and right. throughout the states. So yeah. kept busy. So Laura told us a little bit about how she personally got involved um, originally because of her work in radio. The part that I'm curious about is how did you guys go from being students of this? Like I, I'm assuming there were a lot of students over the years to you two being the ones who carry all this work on today? Well, you know, um, it's still a community of people, but we are definitely the directors and we definitely took on the responsibility of the land and, and heading up the Institute itself. Um, it, the, the story, you know, it's one of those things and not to go too woo woo, but it was just a calling. There was something there that just said, there's something needed here. And so we went back to the Institute after her passing and we volunteered to help. And one thing led to, to another, it's kind of a longer story, but ultimately through that volunteering, there was just to be of service, there's an opportunity, somebody needs to step up. And we said, we would love to be, be more involved. So I joined the board, of, Laura joined the board of directors, I joined the board of directors, and in a month I became the director of the Institute. Um, because we had background skills, and like you mentioned in the media and, uh, and management skills. And so we said, well, this, this is a fabulous thing. Let's see what we can do and we can help out. And, and it kind of came down on our shoulders. And uh, But at the same time, what a blessing to be able to- What to, an adventure. An adventure. So I'm, I'm curious to know also the, the transition in how the organization has worked over time. If we can, if I can go back with you all the way to the time that you spent with Dr. Goodman um, at the trance camp, I, I, was that your first place of learning it in yeah. person? Yes. Right, so, right. What was it like then? Tell, tell us about, you know, the, the whole environment, what you came into and, and what you actually did there with her. Well, that, yeah, that, that was the fun part of it. It was very rustic and she made no excuses for that. She considered that part of the journey that you're going to come to the Institute. We're not going to provide you with, you know, linens and all the, per, per, all, no the all the perks, no air conditioning. Uh, the food's going to be home cooked and only, only and very simple. And you're going to be helping with cooking and doing dishes and cleaning up and keeping things neat. It was a it was a way of creating what I refer to as a tribal experience. We weren't just outsiders looking in. It was we were all became inside looking out. We all became part of it. And in the beginning days, she would close the gate and you were there for the whole time. This was not a time a you, week. Were, you don't go you don't go outside and go shopping in Santa Fe during a workshop or whatever. You stay on the land. You go direct into this world of, of alternate reality experience. That's part of it. The New Mexico heat, the, the dirt, sand of the land, the, the intensity of the, build, the, the the surroundings, it all was a part of the experience. Each day she would lead us in sunrise. So we would get up early and we would climb to the top of this ridge that she had chosen where you could see the beautiful sunrise um, uh, coming up over the mountains, but also 
to the opposite direction, you could come back to the same location and see the sun go down. And um, so we would go up each day and she would lead us in a ritual of, of greeting the sun. And it was so impactful for me. It really, really, it changed my life. I just, that sunrise ritual. And um, so we'd get up and we'd go up there and we'd greet the sun and we'd call the directions. And, and um, being someone who came from the North, I grew up in Maine, uh, the, 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 the vistas of New Mexico was like a John Wayne movie, but without John Wayne, <laughs> it was something incredible, spectacular. And uh, it just, it was uh, that kind of power. And then she would lead us in other rituals throughout the day, but then we would do the posture works and we would go do a uh, posture in the morning and the afternoon, uh, some lectures in the evening on and off. Um, and so she, and being a mythologist, she had stories to tell. And she was fascinating to sit around even at the dinner table and, and ask questions and see what she had to say. And, and boy, did we line up and pummel her yeah, with questions yeah, yeah. and keep her conversing <laughs> so, with us. Yeah, so yeah. we went there very innocently. And I must say, even myself more innocent than Laura, I had not done the research and the homework. She had done the interviews. I was very busy at the time uh, running with this media company that we had. And so going to New Mexico, I had just the, the slightest amount of information which really played into a fantastic experience because I wasn't led to have any expectation. And I, I walked into the, uh, the, the uh, student building and she was sitting there having her lunch when I first arrived. And, and I just said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in this work. I've done yoga for years. And she says, okay, yes, dear. And that's different. That's not what we do, <laughs> you know? And then, so then from there on- That was a personal introductory I lecture. I got my personal lecture. So things were quite yeah. fabulous. Well, what did she this yeah, is around was, 1990, would you say? Like probably four or five. Yeah, I support more of the mid-90s. Yeah. And then was your involvement just to kind of go in for the one week and leave? Or, I mean, did you start coming more often? What we did was, we yeah, we did come just the one week at a time. But Laura being, having a journalist background, uh, Dr. Goodman and her had plenty to talk about. And so... And happy we recorded many hours. So we recorded probably, I don't know how many hours we have, 20, 20, 20 or 30 hours of conversations with her. Just And some of those recordings we still haven't uh, finished editing and, and making public. But um, So we had such a, a great opportunity to talk to her year round. Nice. And then we went year after year. Mm -hmm. As long as she was there teaching, we'd go once a year. Yeah. While she was alive, did you have any idea that you were going to be taking over the organization or at least move into the administration of it? Or did that all come later? We started teaching this in 2000. Right. One of the last meetings we had with her, she took us aside. I think she knew that her time was coming to an end and she said, go teach this. Mm -hmm. and, and we did. Our first workshop that we did in Seattle, 30 people showed up. Yeah. We thought, oh, wow, there's a need for this. And then we got more and more drawn into this. It called to us deeper and deeper yeah. over the years and, and on as a, we were teaching it around. And on a personal level, I had this thing from a, from a young age. And there was no, there was absolutely no reason to believe it. But I always kept saying, I want to lead this thing. This is something that's going to happen. I want to be a part of something. And uh, this... Uh, she had the most authentic voice. You know, Laura, because of her radio show, we had the great privilege of speaking to over 3,000 authors. We had, we had access to everybody on the cutting edge across the world that was talking these kinds of topics. And this little lady down in New Mexico was not a self-promoter. She, she was a storyteller, mythologist, and an, and an academic. 
She didn't have the same level of push. She wasn't trying to sell us anything. And it just felt so good to say, well, you know, this lady, she's got something. Let's go check this out. And, um, and in meeting with her, she was quite happy that um, she would have, you know, 12 or 15 students at a time. Um, and she would, you know, make them, make them food and have them come and the whole thing. And she was, she was never one that was trying to make the, in fact, it, being someone who's from New Mexico, who spent time in New Mexico like yourself, um, you know, she didn't even promote locally. We are still to this day, people say, where is this place? Where I've lived in Santa Fe all my life, I've never heard of it. <laughs> and one time we had a lady come from um, Israel she got lost and she started knocking on doors, the local Pueblo people. And uh, and she said, I'm looking for the Queer Monkey Institute. And they said, there's no such thing, lady. We were one mile away from the house. Wow. Person, yeah. she, she liked to fly yeah. under the radar. Let me right, put it that exactly. But I think what really excited Dr. Goodman was the joy of seeing this experience dawn on the face of new students. And we share that today. We are very careful to teach this exactly in the same protocol that she taught it. And part of that is to go in innocently, to have no expectations and um, not to lead. And so when people have this experience, part of it is you need to discern, well, what is the figment of my imagination? What am I projecting? Am I imagining this? Or is this really from a source beyond myself? And so when you have a circle of people and we start to share the experiences of the trance afterwards in a circle, and then you see that some of the same elements, some of the same visionary symbols or experiences other people shared, it starts to dawn on you that, oh, I see. And then it also tells a story. It tells you something, some of these universal truths. And that just that sheer excitement of, oh, this feels so familiar, and yet it feels so sacred, and yet it is so profound. Mm -hmm. And I am sharing this with this group. So I think she truly, truly enjoyed that experience, just as we do today, as all teachers do, who introduce this work right. and continue it. It's always surprising. We're always seeing new layers of it. So she was okay with it being just this this little organization, this little um, the the impact being in small groups. Yeah, let, let me clarify too. I think is that she had a tremendous respect and acknowledgement for the world of spirit. And so her, even though she was an academic, she also was a mystic. And her experiences and her research had taught her, you don't mess with the world of spirit. You have to be very careful as you take these steps. When she first published her book, Where the Spirits Ride the Wind, she had, you know, she was concerned. Do, is this work something that you put in a book? Do you share something, this kind of discovery, and put it in a, a book and send it out to people to start playing with because you don't know what the impact's going to be? She was careful to allow um, plenty of instruction with it, the whole thing, but her message was, yes, proceed, it's okay. Uh, but I, uh, talking to the original people at Barron Company that worked with her, they said, no, she definitely had concern. And, and fast forwarding to today, now we're doing the work and we're offering it on Zoom. And how do you make that transition? And we had our own uh, concern a year ago when the, the impact of, of the COVID thing hit and everybody was saying, can you share this work with new students? It's one thing to have advanced students log on, but can we have new people join us? So we experimented in a very, and we took extra steps to be careful with how the work is explained and offered and choosing the, the, the postures that we know are tried and true as, as, we, uh, as we introduce the work. And now a year later, uh, it's been 
so rewarding to see the work. And we're talking to people from all over the world that we would never have access to otherwise. Who may, or who have no, may never, as you point out. Oh, who may never ever be able to get on a plane, fly to the US. And I don't know, uh, I remember coming from Washington State and we lived up in the San Juan Islands. So you had to take a ferry, you get down to Seattle, then you had to fly from Seattle, it probably had to go through Denver. Then you had to go down to Albuquerque and then you get to Albuquerque, you try to catch a train or, or rent a car. Or, we Boy, were based in Seattle. I could, most I of the could time. fly to England much faster than I can go to Santa Fe, especially to the Institute at the time. It was like this big journey. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we're we're talking to people from around the world who say, oh, "I've been following this work for twenty years or more, and I kept thinking I was going to make it there." And thank you for doing Zoom so, and bringing it to them in their living yeah. room. Yeah. Wow. So, so only because of COVID had, did this transition take place. Yes, I, I have to give it. I have to say that we obviously we had thoughts of doing more and more, but we were thinking more with advanced people, not introducing the work brand new to people. And so we have seriously documented as we went along all the experiences. We have a, a, a just as she did. Yeah, just as she, she would did. take notes on everyone's experiences. So we uh, watch the experiences very carefully. We we try to give as much safety understanding of what the work is so that people can participate and we try to lead it like laura said in the same format in which she did that we know that this it's the safe way for the journey to take place and uh so now um i don't know the numbers but it's you know it's in the thousands of people that have had a chance to have uh, access to the work just in this last year and as everyone is saying <clears throat> excuse me as everyone is saying we're at a very interesting time in human history uh, I remember uh, Vine Deloria, the, the, uh, the great elder and activist on behalf of the Native people, saying that, you know, we can't hold back our knowledge forever because what these white people are doing, they need help. <laughs> we need to give them some information and knowledge. So there comes a point between being safe and at the same time, the work has to speak for itself. Let it go. See where it goes and see, where, see what it speaks to. And we need to have anything, any kind of ACS, uh, alternate state of consciousness, activity going on for people to expand their worldview, for people to have an opportunity to go beyond the politics of today. And so that's where we're hoping we're one of the participants in that discussion. And we have a 50-year track record of safe use. Yeah. And so she said, this is this uh, the protocol that the spirits themselves use. They need to be called in a respectful way. There are uh, ways and means that are age old that we interact with this realm. Uh, when the rattle starts, that is the cue for the body to start to make the shift when the rattle ceases after so many minutes that's the cue for the body to come back to normal ordinary waking um, state and so um, we just find this a very beautiful practice what's interesting is that those same shared elements that we see um, within a particular trance uh, we have commonalities that will show up depending on the various posture, one of the 125 that are in our canon, experimentally or whatever. Uh, we find this true over Zoom. And so we thought, oh, what is this telling us about the nature of reality? And whatever it is that we're contacting, uh, we have a cosmologist coming up on a, on a Sunday talk fest because we want to ask, is this the spooky effect at a distance that Einstein talks about? Is this telling us more about the nature of the reality and its many uh, layers? The Sundays that we've, uh, we do the experiential sessions on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and the Sundays we have these talk fests with special guests or we make presentations 
about her origin story or mm-hmm. indicators of being deep in trance or stories of uh, Q&A, um, all of this. But that is the part of our workshop where we would sit around and talk and examine what what's going on here. What's at work here? What is this work truly all about? Mm-hmm. So where Sundays, Bob, have been about special guests in multidisciplinary fields who might have some insight for this work, for us to understand it in its broader context, because we are a research organization and we are tasked with really understanding what kind of ground are we breaking here, anthropologically, historically, archaeologically, um, conscious, yeah, consciousness, um, what's going on here? And given your work, we want to invite you to a Sunday Talk Fest here soon. Well, thank you, Laura. It'll be my pleasure to come and join you guys. Yeah, indeed. And so so if you could just, before we close this uh, this session, tell us a little bit about how people can um, get in contact with you, how they can participate. You mentioned a weekly schedule, but I'm also curious to know if you're planning longer term like workshops of the, the kind that you used to do in a post-COVID world. Right. One, once, uh, you know, the reality is, is like everybody else, we're playing it by playing it by ear or by whatever, by, in, by hunch or instinct until we know that it's safe. Uh, I, I brought up one time in one of the gatherings that probably people won't be too excited about traveling immediately. And people said, no, I feel the opposite. I think it's time that people are going to say, I'm tired. Once the COVID thing's under control, I'm going to start going places and doing things again. And so we're going to, we're going to um, open the Institute back up again. We're going to be doing a, a full spectrum of topics and trainings and advanced workshops. It's a bunch of people that want to learn about uh, being able to host the work themselves in their own communities. Um, so we're going to go back to, to that format. We're not going to go exclusively Zoom, but we're not closing down Zoom. Zoom and, and, and the, uh, the virtual world that we've tapped into is, is critical to the long-term survival of this work as well now. So we can reach both, both worlds at the same time. We also see that we're reaching far more people than could possibly fit into our Kiva That's true. in the number of weeks that we're open. So we want to continue with the Zoom. But for now, we have the open Saturdays, so anybody can come in and join us. You just need to register on the website. That puts you on an email list so that then Paul sends out the email prior to every Saturday with the Zoom codes, with a little bit of introductory, here's what you want to know, here's how to do your Zoom settings so that the, um, the sonic driving isn't, isn't uh, uh, sub- suppressed sure, by sure, Zoom sure, because it mistakes it for a recurring sound and little tips like that. And so um, we welcome anyone. We give a 10-minute introductory lecture. Here's what to know when you close your eyes and we're shaking a rattle at you. Um, like that. So that's a good place to start. And then we are also by popular demand going to bring our, here's how you host one of these for your own community. We're going to bring that as well to uh, Zoom because we have lots of international people and we really want to see centers start up in countries around the world and in different languages. So one uh, one community member who's uh, in France has been translating in this into France for her community. Uh, we have a center in Austria. There's one in Germany, and we, and we've got a, a Sydney, teacher in Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. Yeah, um, yeah. So not only yeah. do we want to go around and teach as we've been, but yeah. we we want to um, support um, growth of of people and teachers and communities around the world. So the, I know the challenge. I, I want to say something that that really moved me about um, 
the communication that I've gotten, you know, in looking at your website and, and showing up is that, uh, let me say that they don't charge for people to do this work, that they accept donations, but do not charge for it. And to me, that says a lot about your commitment and a lot about the organization itself. So how can people get a hold of you? What, um, what's the website? Yeah, it, it misses, of course, the spelling of Cuyamungay is complicated for people. But it, it's a place name, and it means where the rocks shift. It's the Pueblo name from way back, uh, Cuyamungay. For the actual so land and site. Yeah. I'll spell it one time, but of course, you probably will put it in your, your uh, text. Uh, but Cuyamungay is C-U-Y-A-M-U-N-G-U-E, CuyamungayInstitute.com. You can also look up ecstatic trance postures.com or felicitousgoodman.com. All of that will take us to the same website so we can get you in the door. Um, and uh, so hopefully that will. Or email us at hello at cuyamungayinstitute.com as well. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So. Wonderful. Well, Laura Lee and Paul Robert, I thank you both so much for being here. I think we really covered a lot of ground today and have given people a lot of ways to not only learn about this, but to experience it firsthand. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to having you as our guest as well, Bob. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.